0: Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog.
1: Meteor ship.
0: Some folks have a strange idea of
1: They're dead, but they're coming right for us.
0: we are going to need a bigger boat.
2: And we're going to scare the shit out of them.
3: to the third episode of the Spooky Picture Show. I am one of your hosts, Chris MacGibbon. And I'm Michael Felsher,
1: And I'm Kevin Ellis. And I'm Peter Bracke. Uh
3: On this episode, we're going to be discussing some horror films that we feel like have been unjustly looked down upon in the genre. And this is a two-parter episode. Uh, episode two, we're actually going to be discussing the opposite, where we are going to be looking at films that we feel like are kind of overrated that maybe should be knocked down a peg or two. So without further ado, we're just going to get right into it. Um, so I'm going to go first with my one of my first picks of the evening. Uh, and one of the movies that I gen- really generally feel like gets a lot of hate, and undeservedly so, because I feel like it's a pretty decent little zombie film, um, is Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Now, obviously, this is not as good as the first Return of the Living Dead. Then again, like, what zombie comedy about you know, zombies searching for brains is realistically, right? Like that's the classic horror film. Um, Part two favors the comedy over the first one, you know, the horror element, not like the first one, which kind of has a really great mix of both. Um, But I still think part two is a pretty decent little movie. It has a lot of good qualities. And I think if it wasn't a return of the living dead film, people would have accepted it a little better. They would have liked it more. It would have been something akin to like a waxwork, type of deal thing where it's kind of beloved. It's not like the best movie ever, but people don't vilely hate on it as much as they would, if it was just its own thing. Um, I think that movie gets a lot of shit because it's a return of the living dead sequel versus just people kind of judging it based on its own merit, which is kind of difficult to do because it is sort of a loose remake reboot. If you will, a lot of the same themes are carried over from the first film. Two of the actors from the first film reprise their roles. Basically again, um, a lot of situations are borrowed from the first movie, so it, it is kind of difficult to separate it, but I don't know. It's just one of those ones I felt like got a lot more shit than it deserved. Does uh, anyone else here agree? No, I mean, I, I've always liked it.
4: I I have mixed feelings on it. I think it's it's a well-made movie. Uh, the photography is really nice. I like the music and the performances overall, I found, were quite good. Uh, the only issue I ever had with, the, with Turn 2 was... I thought the humor was a little bit too dopey, too slapsticky, as compared mm-hmm. to again, compared to the first one. And I think you're right. If this were an independent film, outside of that comparison to the first movie, might have gotten a fairer judge. But um, th- th- it's a little bit too over the top, goofy in a cartoonish way that I don't, I don't, I don't particularly like that tone in a lot of horror movies because I think it waters down the horror. But it's, um, it's certainly not. Hey look, the best thing that ever happened in Return of the Living Dead Two was Return of the Living Dead's four and five. So yes. uh, it's, it's, comparison to that, Return <laughs> of Living Dead Two is fucking Ben Hur. So
3: Yeah. Yeah, I've I've actually used that as a as a specific defense of this film as because like, people would call it the worst of the series. It's like, well, have you seen the the four, parts four and five? And if they say no, it's like, Okay, watch those, then come back and tell me which ones you think are worse. Um and most people will, will they lighten up to two quite a bit after watching those. So that that you know.
4: And I would also easy, I would also encourage people to uh, check out the Blu-ray. There's a lot of great special
3: features no, on that. No, 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 no man, Pam, not today, Satan. Nope, nope.
1: But the funny parts in that movie come off really funny though to me. They've they done a good job with the funny parts. Good lines like the, 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 the screwdriver line. Yeah. And get that damn screwdriver out of my head.
2: Yeah. So, Chris, like, since uh, you're a fan of the movie, do you think part of the problem might have been bringing back Tom Matthews and James Cameron might have hurt the movie in that sense? Because I, I had trouble not comparing them unfavorably yeah. to the original. I,
3: I think that didn't help it at all. And they both, uh, well, Tom Matthews has been very vocal about what a miserable time that movie was for him. So I really feel like he was there because James Cameron was there. James Karen seemed to be delighted to be there. I mean, he, he was having a lot of fun with the role. You could kind of tell he was being really goofy and over the top, which I think he kind of relished in, whereas Tom Matthews wasn't really trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that hurt the movie quite a bit because the, the, the cast they have for that movie, I think, works really well. I love um, uh, the guy who plays Doc Mandel. His name is escaping me. But um, that character is hysterical. You know, he has one of my favorite lines in horror movie history. Oh, it's you. Why aren't you out playing in the traffic? Like, to this 11-year-old kid. <laughs> you know, it's just... It, 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 and he's all concerned about his car. You know, all the zombies all over the place. Like, trying to kill them. And he's worried about his car what getting dented. That, it's like...
4: It, Philip Bosco? Is that who it was? Uh, Philip Brunes. Brunes, Brunes Philip Bruns. Right,
3: yeah. Yeah. He was hysterical. And he's, you know, he's just, you know, trying to contemplate drinking when the zombies are, you know, outside tearing the truck apart. It's great. It's It's, it's a fun little movie. And I think that if people just kind of looked at it as its own thing, which again, I know it can be difficult, but they'd have a better time with it. You know, I, I don't think it, it deserves nearly the hate that it, it's gotten over the years. And, um, not to, Oh God, I can't think about to do this, but the blu-ray from scream factory with some very nice features from red shirt pictures, <laughs> <Indeed>. um, <laughs> I think actually helped people look at the movie again and give it another shot because one of the problems that I think a lot of people have with the movie was the DVD version that was available for so many years had the temp score attached to it, not the actual theatrical Mm -hmm. music. And that score is awful and it does no favors to the movie. So if people were seeing that movie, there's a good like chunk of time where that was the only way to watch that film. And now they get to see it the way it was originally intended. So that score is awesome. The score for the temp version isn't, but um, I think people are like review, you know, re looking at it again. And I think they're, they're, they're reevaluating their thoughts on it. So, But uh, that's one of my picks for a movie that I love that gets a lot of shit.
4: And uh, uh, thank you for that plug for my work. I, I try not to bring that up here in this very often, <laughs> mm-hmm, so it's nice mm-hmm. for someone to, to mention that. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the so one I was uh, uh, going to choose first on my list uh, is part of a very well-established series uh, and it's called Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Now, I freely admit... Halloween 5 has a lot of problems. Most of it's in the script, which doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> at all. It makes no sense. It, is, it contains some of the most illogical character motivations you'll ever see in a movie. It introduces this man in black character who just walks through the whole picture doing really nothing whatsoever until the very end when he just frees Michael. We don't know who the hell he is, why he's there, or anything. And they left it for another movie to solve badly, I might add, several (laughs) years later. And it's got those problems, but what it does have, and what I responded to when I first saw it, and I remember it was at the Park 51 Cinema on opening day in 1989, was that it had a wonderful atmosphere to it. I think the director, they brought in a guy named Dominic Othen and Gerard, who was a European director, and he brought a very European sensibility to this picture. They shot it in Salt Lake as they had the previous film, Halloween 4, but he brought a very odd sensibility to it. It's very gothic. I mean, the the house they chose for the Myers house, you know, the Myers house was a simple two-story suburban house, you know, Midwestern home. And now all of a sudden it's become this gothic mansion with it, you know this huge brick foyer and you know this big, dank basement and everything. It's absolutely nuts. But for some reason, that worked for me because of how beautifully photographed it is. It was photographed by a guy named Robert Draper, who went on to do Tales from the Dark Side of the Movie and uh, works on the Creepshow t- uh, TV series now. And I just found it very evocative, and I really enjoyed the performances. I thought Daniel Harris did an amazing job in that movie. She has to be pretty much on the on the edge of complete hysterics through almost an entire picture but she has some really nice quiet moments especially one with michael later in the film i love the fact that donald pleasance is so batshit crazy in this movie (laughs) that he's almost worse than michael in some regards and i enjoyed the fact that he was willing to go there with that performance and it's 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 an uneven film to be sure i love the opening credits it's probably my favorite opening credit sequence of the entire series which is intercut with this very fast you know, slashing motions of a knife carving a pumpkin, and I—I uh, think overall it's a film that gets by almost completely by its direction and its atmosphere and the performances, despite the fact that it makes no sense while you're watching it.
3: So I'm just curious about part five. There was a 4K release out of that recently, and I think somebody did the features on that. They, and they may did. Even, like, they may have even restored the original lost opening.
4: Yes, there was a lost opening to that film. So that I movie mean, we went through quite a few changes uh, as they were going through. The whole big sequence with the SWAT team was cut out, which has still never been seen. And then the original opening had, and it's, it's weird. It's like the, the original opening had Michael Myers surviving the big dynamite blast from part four. He floats down a river for about five seconds and winds up at this old man shack who takes him in for a year he wakes up on halloween kills the old man because reasons and then goes back to haddonfield well the original opening was essentially similar to that in that he floats down the river quite a ways and ends up at a shack occupied by a guy nicknamed dr death who's this young scrawny looking dude who's into the occult and runes and uh, all sorts of weird crap and incantations and spells and potions and whatever and he's the one who brings michael in and resuscitates him and he's responsible for the thorn tattoo that you see on his wrist later on in the picture so it's it it was it was an interesting idea to kind of bring the occult and sort of a supernatural element officially into the series but it Mm -hmm. I can see why it didn't play very well because it's not really referenced again any at any other point in the movie and it's weird it's a weird odd sequence that just sort of makes you go well what what the hell was that all about you know so I can understand why they reshot it, but yeah, it was reconstructed for the Blu-ray, which was really cool. And uh, um, I think I think it's a film I can understand. Again, it's is one of those situations where I understand why people don't like it. I, can, I completely understand why people don't like it. But I think if you if you just go into it with the the sense of you just want some really fun atmosphere, some interesting kills, and uh, some really good performances, and j- again, just a, a really interesting, unique atmosphere for the an entry in the series. I, I, I really dig
1: it. I still do.
2: All right. I can see that. I like
1: it, too. All right, um, My mm-hmm. pick, one of my picks, is uh, Jaws 3. Is anybody familiar with that movie? Mm-hmm. Did, did Michael, did you do the features for this Blu-ray? Um, no? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. I mean, I mean I, My favorite movie of all time is Jaws. <laughs> But I saw this one first. I mean, oh, Jaws Kevin. and SeaWorld. Come on, man. How can you not love that movie? What's he laughing at? No, it's just... It, Should
4: we pause? No, no, no. No, no, no. This no, is, no, 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 keep going. No, no, no. I, I'm sorry, everyone. It's just... I, I'm just... The fact that Kevin saw Jaws 3D first and then didn't give up on movies overall is amazing <laughs>
1: to me. <laughs> I mean, hey, come on, now. I mean it's Jaws, it's Jaws in Sea World eating people. What more do you need? This is true. It's true. It's got fantastic it's lines like well, and what's Moose the one where uh, you can take a flying leap through a rolling donut on a gravel driveway?
3: <laughs> that's a that's a line from that That's movie. a line from
1: that movie? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I've never seen Jaws 3D. No, oh. I've seen I've seen Jaws and Jaws too, but I never saw it 3D.
1: Uh, you get a cool death scene where you get to see the the death perspective from inside the shark's mouth as he's eating somebody. So,
2: hmm. so Kevy, did you see it in 3D when you first saw it? I did at the theaters. No?
1: Mm. So. how old were you, Kevy? Uh I think it was five. It came out eighty three, you so. I was five years old when I saw it, so I was all about the 3D. Ah, uh, mm. yeah, we were going through a 3D wave around that
4: time in the mm-hmm. early to mid '80s. There. Well,
2: and that's I, cool because they don't screen Jaws 3D and 3D very often anymore. No, it's hard to right,
3: see. No. Yeah. Right. I'm just curious about your age because when I one of the reason I, I didn't go into it, but Return of the Living Dead Part Two probably resonated so much for me growing up because I saw it when I was a kid. And I was, a hu- I was a horror fan when I was a kid, and seeing a kid fighting zombies really kind of struck a chord. So I didn't know if that was maybe something in relation to Jaws 3D for you, that maybe because you saw it when you were younger, it might have become maybe, a favorite, maybe. you know, but.
1: <laughs> I could see the look in y'all's eyes. But I
4: like, yeah, Ke- Kevin's absolutely- right, though. It does have sharks eating
1: people at SeaWorld.
4: I mean, mm-hmm. what's you really can't ask too much more from a movie than that. It does coming the, off of a disaster a, wind. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a scene right before uh, the shark uh, starts attacking the underwater kingdom. Where a little girl's, you know, like, she sees Jaws, the shark coming along. She says, Daddy, look. Look at the fish. And the dad says, Holy shit. I mean, that's the funniest line in the whole. <laughs> 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 Okay, yeah, revisit that. I haven't seen that in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can oh. see I'm not getting my message across on this one. <laughs> 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 I'm just digging it deeper. No, now.
2: no, but as um, I think th- no, no, um, no. I remember Jaws 3D from Cable, like just seeing that movie over and over again. That oh was yeah, back, that like, was back. staple yeah, then. Yeah. yeah, totally. So, um, uh, yeah. So I thought it would be fun. To not so much look at a couple of some movies that like, people hate so much as that just sort of, I think, have been forgotten or just or just underappreciated. So my first pick is a movie called Cat People from 1982, mm. uh, which was a remake. Um, so a little context. It came out. Yeah, I think it was April, May of 1982 it was the summer of E.T., uh, Rathacon, Blade Runner, The Thing. So there was some buzz around the movie. It was like one of Universal's big summer movies. I actually thought it was going to be a bigger hit than E.T., which was funny. Um, Paul Schrader had written Taxi Driver. And so he was uh, not up or coming, but he was certainly... Uh, people were curious what he was going to do next. Natasha Kinski's uh, leading it. She was uh, kind of a very hot actress at the time. So I remember there being kind of like a lot of buzz around it. And the year before had been like the year of the werewolf, like American Werewolf and the Halloween. So people were like, oh, it's like the cat, cat version of... You know, werewolf stuff, latex effects were like really big at the time. So, and the movie came out and it just, it didn't really hit for some reason. It kind of just disappeared. Um, I think now actually the people probably remember it more for the David Bowie song than the movie, maybe. I could be wrong. Because um, they use that song in uh, Glorious Bastards. Um, but I, I really loved the movie. I think what's so interesting to me about it is, and what Paul Schrader said, he wrote and directed it, was he thinks that like the reason horror fans maybe didn't embrace it is instead of being like a monster movie with some sex and some skin, it's really like a skin flick with a little bit of monsters and blood in it. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of horror movies deal like there's a lot of sex, obviously in horror movies, but usually it's just like, you know, a scene of people doing something and they get killed, but cat people is actually about the fear of sex. I mean, the whole movie is just infused with it. I mean, um, so it's just kind of a really cool idea of like, a a young female character who is so afraid of her sexuality that she, uh, turns into a cat and it's all about that kind of tension and that's rare i think at that time to see a movie about like a female lead dealing with her own sexuality so there's just some really cool interesting themes in it and um also back then and um i know it's be a recurring theme for me because i'm old but uh you know i'm not a big fan of cgi um you know back then everything like you had to production design a movie like you had i mean there was no cgi there was no cgi backgrounds no, no digital Fixing when you look at Cat People now, it's really like uh, really cool. Like everything from the production design to the lighting to the sets, the locations um, are just like there's a whole mood to it. Um, There's a guy named Fernando Scarfellati. I think he passed away. He was a production designer and he worked with Paul Schrader and they came up with a whole color scheme for every scene in the film. They used a lot of cyans and reds, which is a very unusual color palette. So it's a really kind of beautiful, moody sexy uh, kind of film. So I don't know I just think it's one of those movies that, that would be cool. I think if people checked out now, again, I'm not saying it's a lost masterpiece, but um, you know, it was kind of a cool little movie. I think that kind yeah. of felt that people just don't talk about, you know?
4: Yeah, it and, is. And I, I remember I haven't seen the movie in a while, but I remember mm-hmm. being very impressed with Nastasha Kinski's physical performance in that because she mm-hmm. actually adopts a lot of cat like movement in it. So you, mm-hmm. they didn't need to really do a lot of special effects in some scenes because she was able to convey that just through her physicality and being very, mm-hmm. very impressed with that. Uh, yeah. It's, got a, it's mm-hmm. got a very odd movie. And you know, that, you know you're in for a weird movie when Malcolm McDowell looks surprised and scared in the film <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if, yeah. if he's freaked out, then, oh, what the hell are we in for here?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just weird. And it's weird that like, a studio would have light that movie. Like, I just kinda of love the seventies and the 80s because there's a lot of this weird batshit, crazy like they still were giving directors kind of free reign, like um actually Alan Orns Orns is it Ormsby?
4: Yeah, he wrote the, yeah. the the screenplay,
2: yeah. Yeah. And he also wrote of course with Bob Clark uh, and stuff like that. So I mean, the one part and Nastasia Kinski's talked about it she didn't like was uh she's naked a lot in the movie, oh, but it's she to the point where it's naked
4: a lot, yes. yes. It's
2: almost like she's like she didn't feel like it was thought it was too much. And there's another interesting angle to that is Paul Schrader's talked about it. He was actually obsessed and in love with Natasha Kinsky at the time, working on the movie. So if you watch the movie now, I mean, the whole lead character played by John Hurd is really a stand-in for Paul Schrader. So it's, there's a very weird, interesting dynamic in the way Paul Schrader photographs Natasha Kinsky. It is a little kind of cre- creepy now. So it has very interesting kind of icky layers to it. But yeah, she's maybe... Uh, exploited a bit too much, although. Um, and yeah. another funny thing is, uh, yeah. it's one of Jodie Foster's favorite movies, which is that was weird.
4: So. And I and I appreciate the fact that it's very different than the Jacques Val mm-hmm. Luton film yes. from before. It has a very yeah. unique vibe, and much as John Carpenter's The Thing that same summer was miles different than the Howard Hawks Christian Nyby version. Uh, Cat mm-hmm. people took it, took the basic concept and ran off with it. But totally. I think you're right. It's funny, Peter. I I imagine Universal. When they got a hold of the final cut of that movie, went, well, this isn't going to succeed yeah. with a mass yeah. audience. There's just no fucking way. He gave us an art house movie,
3: you know. Mm-hmm. Totally. Kevin, yeah. have you seen Cat People?
1: Ah, uh, long time ago. It's been a while. I haven't seen yeah. it overall, yeah. but this conversation oh. makes me mm-hmm.
3: want to watch it. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's worth a shot.
1: Yeah. It's really worth a
4: shot. It's mileage is going to vary certainly whether you respond to it or not, but it mm. um, it it has its own voice, which you really got to give. Any movie credit for yeah. having
2: these yeah. days? Yeah, yeah I give yeah. it a rewatch. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Kevin,
3: you and I should uh, give it a rewatch. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
3: Um, sorry, right, so I'm gonna the next one on my list is one that is often regarded as the worst entry in this beloved horror franchise, and <laughs> I still can't quite wrap my mind around it because I, I, there are other movies in this franchise that I think would, would be much more uh, acceptable to hold that title. Um, but uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Jason Takes Manhattan, and I will fully admit that this movie is not like some undiscovered classic that deserves, you know, a, you know, a, a second viewing from people who hated it when they first saw it. Um, but what I think they should do is that they saw it one time and they absolutely despised it. They should watch it again with the expectations of what it is in check, because what it is is a really fun Friday the Thirteenth film where Jason. Goes through a, a lot of characters who aren't particularly likable in very creative and violent ways on a boat and in Manhattan, <laughs> Vancouver. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it, to me, uh, watching that movie, I have such a good time with it. It's just so bonkers. It's so fun. It's lit beautifully. Uh, it's got some of the best kills in the franchise. I mean, the, you know, the boxing on the rooftop scene where he knocks the kids' heads off. That's That kill is brought up all, all the time, you know, on, on top 10 kill lists of Jason, and but the movie itself has always just kind of, like, been shit on. Uh, and to me, it's like, Jason Goes to Hell would take the title of being the worst entry of that franchise, for me personally, because I don't even think it's a bad movie, but it's not a good Friday the 13th film. It doesn't fit with the rest of the movies. Part 8 is still a Friday the 13th movie. Uh, I think people just felt cheated because it's called Jason Takes Manhattan, and an hour of the movie is on a boat and then it's 40 minutes of Manhattan uh, and I, you know I think if you can get past that you'll have a good time with it it's just a lot of fun it's 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 no better or worse than any of the other ones As you know in terms of like the quality of the movie it's shot very well it looks good again Jason does his thing um, you know the the supernatural stuff with it flashback and him as a kid a little weird but I mean the movie before that we had somebody who was a psychic fighting him so it's like we've We've crossed the threshold now where anything should go, so... I do. I love it. I think it's great. It's actually my favorite entry in that franchise.
4: I'm with you. I love it, too. I think it plays better with me now than it did when I first saw it. Because certainly... I mean, the whole ad campaign was Jason takes Manhattan. And I remember walking out of there going, fuck that, the Muppets took it better. You know, because it's like... He's barely there. He's, he's He was really he's in Times Square for, what, three minutes? Mm-hmm. And it's like... Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of a cheat, and the rest of the time they're in sewer sets in Vancouver and so forth. But once you get over that, once you get over the fact that this is kind of a big uh, misleading idea of what they were going to do, there's actually uh, some appealing performances, some good kills, even though they were kind of censored by the MPA at the time. Mm
2: -hmm. And
4: uh, I like Kane Hodder's physical performance on the role very, very much. I was really happy they brought him back from Mm -hmm. Part 7. Even though they saddled him with this, in my view, the shittiest makeup Jason ever had—looks like melted (laughs) candle wax head—and an ending that I still can't figure out. It's like they flush the sewers with toxic waste every night, and Jason turns back into a kid. Okay, Um, so I, you know, I just I can't really get behind that. But I think in the end of the day, um, Rob Head and the director did his best with what was inherently very flawed material. And I, right. at the end of the day, I don't think it's the worst of the series by, by yeah. a wide margin either.
3: What's very funny about that toxic waste thing is a lot of people call bullshit on it now. But it took people 30 years to figure out that wasn't a thing that happened in New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, there, there were a lot of people who thought, like, this is... A, oh, that movie gave them the idea. Oh, they do this every night. It's like, no. Only the people in New York City knew that didn't happen every, you know, at all, period. But, and there is, uh, there is but, yeah.
4: one nice little thing that ended up happening... Uh, this ended up being resonant later but it's fun to watch the movie now when he goes in, when jason goes into the diner and picks up the cook yes. and throws him into the mirror that's ken kersinger who would mm-hmm. later take the part of jason over in freddie versus jason so it's almost like he knew back then it's like you're gonna mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know so i like that but i mean obviously at the time that didn't mean anything but it was uh yeah. Um, right. And I love the bit where he smashes the the, the boom box and he just flips his mask up to the kids and like yeah yeah we're cool, yeah. We're, we're cool man we're cool. It's like you know Again, some of that stuff a works lot of great, great very very well. Yeah, there's a
3: lot of yeah. there's yeah. a lot of great memorable set pieces in that film and a lot of great scenes.
4: But I think if they had somehow if they had somehow promoted this as something other than Jason Takes Manhattan, they would have hurt mm-hmm. they would have helped themselves mm-hmm. a lot more because you're sitting there for like an hour going. Are they ever going to get to mm-hmm. fucking? Work or right. not? I didn't want to see Jason Takes on the Love Boat. Yeah. You know what
3: could have been interesting is if they had marketed it differently, and then him getting to Manhattan was kind of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. that
2: would have been cool. Yeah,
4: yeah.
3: Like, oh wait, yeah. what What is what is Pete? What, what is the author of Crystal Lake Memories think? Ah, uh,
2: well, you know, I saw it opening weekend, and I had fun with it in 1989. But I do really remember, like, I went with a couple friends. There was a feeling that the series was just kind of getting burnt out there'd been eight of them it, it, you know it's just sometimes just the timing isn't isn't right and it did feel though like the okay they're not even trying to be scary i mean when you have a title jason takes manhattan you know it's just going to be a fun movie jason's an icon now you know he's doing all you know kicking the boom box it was fun but i'm like oh this is like you know when freddie became like mtv so there was kind of a feeling of but i really i mean i had fun with it i thought it was fun i, ne- I didn't hate it i never hated it um so, um, I think it's just maybe because it's not really scary at that point. You know what I mean, Jason? No, just, it's it's uh, scary. yeah, it's a
1: roller coaster ride. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah my but, only um, uh, my only complaint about it was at the time, how did they get uh, Manhattan from Crystal Lake? I mean, that's the <laughs> only thing I could think of. <laughs> well, okay, yeah.
3: so here's the thing. Here's the thing, and I will. Here's my in the movie, the guy in the boat says, "No, he says he came down the he came down the river," so they're not on Crystal Lake when they leave
1: okay yeah so
3: that's that's how that was explained because he says he, he, he came onto the boat from the river so people miss that because uh, it's I the did. ramblings of a crazy guy but he gives that that point away so there you go so for anyone who's curious about that they're not actually on crystal lake anymore well i never lately.
4: i <laughs> never figured they like lifted the boat up and Fitzcarraldo did did across <laughs> the land to get it over <laughs> to, 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 to the ocean but at the same time that yeah well, there's a little bit of a detail in there that's uh Okay. And you know what the one thing about I do appreciate about it now is it's the last of what I would call the strict continuities. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's the last of the... Because it's like every film would pick up where where Jason Mm -hmm. last was. Mm -hmm. And I always liked that. It's at the bottom of the lake of part six. She wakes him up, sends him back there in part seven. He's down there again at the beginning of part eight. And then after that, shit kind of goes weird. Uh, It's kind of vague and nebulous. So I, I... I miss the Paramount continuity. I, uh, it's a weird thing you yeah. still miss, mm-hmm. but Agreed. it was the last one to still have that.
3: Yeah. And also totally in agree. defense of his makeup, and I, I think we'll move on after this, um, I think the idea they wanted—he was, he was supposed to look like a bloated corpse, where a body had been underwater. The skin does turn yellow. Oh, I get what it they were going for. I, I
4: understand. Yeah, it doesn't—it
3: it, it doesn't translate well. But mm-hmm. I, I i got why they decided to change it up. But I was like, you had a great makeup in oh, part seven. Oh, that part
4: seven makeup mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah, I mean, you, so, I mean, mm-hmm. you
3: really should have just took that and then you know changed it slightly, but mostly left it the same. Yeah. Um, but I like—I I never hated his looking part eight either. I'm actually. I, to this day, I'm still pissed that I don't have a part eight figure. There's one never, through. You know, never really. They've done never one. done one. No, really. They've never. And when they were, and NECA was going to, and then the fucking lawsuit happened. Oh. So they were like, "Oh, we have to wait now." And I'm like, "No! I was about to have it.
1: That's over so. now, right?" Well, people uh, yeah, will get one mm, at some point. I mean, if there's money we'll to be. Somewhere.
4: If it's Friday the Thirteenth, if there's money to be made, they'll find a way. Life will find yes, a way. That's the way it goes. Through. Um. Next on my list of the films that I think are uh, good and maybe misunderstood or mis- are severely underappreciated is *Howling* Five: The Rebirth. Now, you may think, "Why the fuck would you choose an entry out of a series that is as batshit crazy as you've ever seen?" I'm, I'm fascinated with the *Howling* sequels in general because you go from *Howling* the *Howling*, which is pretty much an acknowledged classic, and then to *Howling* Two, which is not. <laughs> <laughs> and then the weirdness of Howling 3 which is like a spoof on the whole thing and it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder and sandwiched in amongst all these other Howling sequels is Howling 5 which actually plays out like an Agatha Christie story it takes place at this castle a snowbound castle and all these people have been called there for reasons that they don't understand and one by one they get getting uh, knocked off like in an Agatha Christie story you hardly ever see a werewolf ever at any point in this movie because they didn't really have money for that. And the movie went through a change of directors while they were filming it. And the whole thing is, mm. the story about the making of the movie would be a fascinating uh, tale one day, believe me. But that movie, again, it goes back to atmosphere with me. They filmed it really well. And it's just the, the castle interiors are very evocative and the snow and uh, it's, I, I just dig being in that movie. And, it, and it's not particularly well acted in some regards. The screenplay is, is what it is. But it's got, again, it's just got a lot of really fun atmosphere, and I loved trying to figure out who was going to be the next to go, because, again, it's not really a werewolf movie. And even when the werewolf shows up, it's done in very fast close-ups, because you can't see the shitty mask that they have, so they (laughs) they got to make sure not to show it. And it's, uh, i got to say, I've always admired that movie for having truly a, a unique feel in in that not only that series but in terms of werewolf movies there's no other werewolf movie that takes place in an abandoned castle in a snowstorm and it's again i think very effective there is one kind of somewhat of uh, unintentionally funny aspect to it is that every time something does happen like a werewolf leaps out of a snowbank you never see the werewolf but it presumably leaps and grabs somebody or there's a jump scare it's the music is always the exact same cue it's like a choral cue where they're going, ba da, bun bun, dun dun, and it's <laughs> they repeat it over and over and over and over again through the movie. And after a while, you're just like, they, they, they could have composed one other cue <laughs> that would have, would have been nice, maybe. But it's, um, I don't know. I have a lot of fond memories of this movie, and uh, I'd like to see it restored and have a mm-hmm. legitimate HD transfer out there because I think the photography and the atmosphere of that film is really what sells it. <laughs>
1: It's a sort of a who done it too,
4: right? It is, yeah. It's like I said, it's very much like an Agatha Christie because you don't know who it is that's knocking people off, and it's it's very much. I mean, because again, they didn't have enough money to do anything really that complicated with a werewolf, so it's pretty much yeah. It's it's you know, it's like Clue, you know, it's one by one people are getting knocked off, and you're just trying to figure out who the hell who done it, and it's it's, I. I I just responded to
1: that for some reason. If it, even and, and if again, it's not strictly a werewolf movie, and it really don't tell you really who done it. It just kind of gives you a little hint who it was too. Yeah, there's a, the closing shot. is supposed to indicate to you who actually did it. Yeah, but
4: I'm not. I've, I've heard from other people who've watched the movie going, was that just sort of the film winking at us because even it doesn't know who did it? You know, at the end of the day, but uh, at the end of the day, it's not really. I didn't really care too much who did it i was just having fun and i think it's a film that deserves another look and hopefully it'll get a a, a decent hd restoration at some point so we can actually watch it mm. properly because right now all that's floating around out there is an old standard def transfer from like 30 fucking years ago
2: yeah I, I have to admit i've been derelict with the Halloween series i saw the first one and only recently i saw the third one i've not seen any of the other ones so I need to. There,
3: there are, yeah. It's a mixed bag, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. mix. it's, a, yeah, it's a very bizarre <laughs> franchise because it's oh. it's got its ebbs and flows, and mostly it's a lot of downhill. It's a lot. Like, yeah. it's a lot. There's And it's so weird and bonkers. I, I almost want to say I have a lot of respect for it for being so fucking weird and bonkers, but that's a franchise to me that always felt like that a studio had a werewolf movie. It didn't quite know what to do with it, so they just called it a Howling movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some Mm -hmm. of them don't have any kind of...
4: But what's weird is, like, uh, Howling 4 was directed by a really great director named John Howe, you know, great English director, Mm -hmm. done Legend of Hell House, and, you know, just... And yet, they shot it in South Africa, and so all the extras down there have South African accents, but it didn't matter anyway because they built this studio out by the airport, which was not soundproof, and had a tin roof, and it rained all the time. So everybody had to get overdubbed, and it's terrible as a result of that. But it has really great special effects by Steve Johnson. Like There's this one transformation where the guy melts into a pool and then reforms into a werewolf. And then they tried to tie three or four of the sequels together with this movie, Howling New Moon Rising, which is one of the most laughably batshit stupid movies (laughs) I've ever seen in my life, where it all takes place on this deserted western town and everyone's country line dancing for some reason and it's just like you just sit there going Whoa. and they're trying to rope in characters and plots from that like four five and six and make it all have sense it makes it's it's, it's just one of those things going god the amount of cocaine that must have gone into this movie I can only imagine <laughs> what happened here but uh, in amongst all the insanity is a piece of insanity that I do really like and that's Howling 5. I
1: agree all right. Uh, my next choice is uh, Halloween Three. <laughs> and I have to admit, when I first watched it, I probably didn't like it for the same reasons everybody else does, which is Michael Myers is not in it. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest complaint I've, I I see with this film. But if you watch if you watch it without thinking Michael Myers in it, it's actually kind of a fucked up story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, somebody wants to just kill every kid in the world, you know? So you just, I mean, if you just gotta get past, if people would just get past and just think of it as the season of the witch, yeah. I think people would, it would come off better than everybody else. So you know, yeah.
2: I think I was weird because I saw it when it came out. It didn't bother me. There was no Michael Myers. I was ready. I'm like, Halloween 2 was enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was before you had endless sequels like you do now. Yeah. So it really was like, well, you can't bring Michael Myers back. He burned up. So, um... I think my thing was more like, it just didn't really, I enjoyed a lot. I have a lot of fun with it, but I mean, it doesn't make a lick of sense. No, it doesn't. There's does so it. many plot holes, but it's so no. really fun. Yeah.
4: No, and it goes there with the kids. It kills a kid oh. on camera mm-hmm. in a really yeah. disturbing yeah. way. Disturbing so, way. Too. Yeah, that yeah. fucked me up as a kid. I was just like, oh, they're not going to actually kill it. What Are those snakes coming out of his head? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah, that's messed that's up. great. That's yeah. messed up. And, that's, and I appreciate the movie. It's like, oh, game over. It, 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 game's on. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen at this point. And I also appreciate the fact that Tom Atkins' character is an asshole. He's not a good guy, really, at the end of the day. He's a shitty doctor. He drinks all the time. He neglects his wife and kids. He wants to help this woman try to find her father, but he's mostly preoccupied with banging her. And mm-hmm. then at the end, he tries to save the world, and he fails. Presumably, yeah, a total downer. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, damn. So I can see why certain people. In fact, I think Chris. I don't think you're a fan of this movie at all either.
3: I, I I'm I'm not a big fan of it. No, and it's not because of the lack of Michael Myers. Because for me, Halloween was never the the movie or the franchise that I held very near and dear. Uh, it, something about this one that just didn't click with me. It never has, mm. and I, I've I've given it multiple chances. I've watched it. A bunch of times just trying to kind of grab onto something about it that i really enjoyed and the best that i can come up with is i really love the masks and oh, yes. i love the feel of the halloween atmosphere the movie has but that's kind of it like that for me that's where it because the whole thing with the robots and yeah you know they take stonehenge but nobody notices and <laughs> you know um yeah. you know like there's a lot of just like huh in that movie but i love the idea of a sequel or an entry in a franchise being completely different i would have really liked to have seen like where that series could have gone if halloween three was received better Mm -hmm. and halloween four was another separate story about something that happened on Mm -hmm. halloween uh versus bringing michael myers back it was a (laughs) well-intentioned idea and i think
4: but at that point michael myers was just too set in people's minds and um, and but yeah I can understand I completely understand why someone would not respond to that movie because mm-hmm. it's sure. ridiculous the plot is absolutely fucking absurd you either <laughs> roll with that, that movie or you don't roll with it and that's yeah. fine um, I do think the, if Dean Cundey's photography is again just fucking fantastic mm-hmm. and I would argue and I think I'm not alone in this it's the best of the John Carpenter Alan Howard score collaborations they absolutely did. that I score love that is fucking mm. fantastic oh. Mm-hmm. and it, it's just one of those ones I can listen to by itself a hundred times over even outside of the movie and it still rocks so I, I, I think that's, that's held up and I'm glad to see the movie has gotten a resurgence in the past ten or so mm-hmm. years where people are discovering it and judging it on its own and yeah. uh, it had a really great collector's edition on Blu-ray not long ago um, nope. great uh, nope 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 <laughs> <laughs> say it. Man, fuck you guys. Don't say it! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Who's the next person to talk? <laughs>
2: Is it me? It's me. Yes. Um, Alright, so for my second choice, I picked a movie from 1981 called Wolfin. Um oh, Yeah, yeah I mentioned, so 1981 was the year of the werewolf. There was a Howling, and then American Werewolf, and I don't know, I always felt like Wolfen was kind of like the bastard stepchild. It's just, I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's better than those other movies I mean I think maybe American Werewolf probably has the is the most loved of those movies but Wolfen definitely just sort of maybe people were sick of Werewolves I don't know but it was not a hit wasn't talked about there's never been like I don't think there's even been a special edition Blu-ray of that movie, mm-hmm. um, but I, don't know, I thought it's kind of always been kind of unfairly overlooked. I think it's the most intellectual of the werewolf movies of that time. It had some really cool, interesting ideas, and it kind of wasn't even really a werewolf movie. If you've seen the movie, it's about wolves There's like a race of wolves that have been displaced by gentrification in New York, and they basically because their land is ba- they've been basically pushed out of their natural habitat they start killing and eating people. And Albert Finney plays a cop who kind of investigates these murders and it kind of ties in with uh, native American mythology and shape-shifting. I don't know. It's not a great movie. It's flawed. And there was a lot of behind the scenes drama. It cost a shitload of money. So they hired a director named Michael Wadley. He's like a countercultural figure from the late sixties. The only movie he ever directed before that was Woodstock, a documentary. So this yeah. is still his only yeah, narrative film. Um, So he kind of politicized it a bit And it always makes me laugh now When people talk about woke culture And, you know, I'm like Have you watched any horror movies From the 60s and 70s and 80s? I I mean, they're loaded with politics I mean, they're all political So um, he definitely took it It's based on a book by Whitley Stryber Who'd written The Hunger and some other uh, books Um, And he had a lot of Native American backstory and stuff But there's just some really cool ideas I mean, it's not that exciting um, it's too long. It's a little slow. It's not like American Werewolf for The Howling. There's not a lot of visceral thrills. There's no big transformation. But it has a really cool climax. It has makeup effects by Carl Fullerton. Mm-hmm. There's this decapitated head that's like really awesome. And, um, but I don't know. I, just, I think it ties in with cat people. I didn't, I didn't realize in you know, picking these movies, they're both about animals. But they're also both about adults. There's no teenagers. Not that I don't love teen horror. But it's just cool to see an adult movie that tries to tackle something serious um, and mixes genre with, you know, politics and stuff. So, you know, it's cool. I know I think it's a movie that's worth revisiting. Um, again, if you can't expect an American werewolf for a Halloween kind of thing, but um, there's some cool stuff. So, I don't know. Hopefully people will check it out.
4: I just remember yeah. the only, th- th- that movie, I haven't watched that movie in a long time, but what I remember yeah. about it was a lot of it's kind of very heady, you know, just <laughs> yeah. kind of, but thank God they got someone like Albert Finney to star in this because he sells it. <laughs> you know yeah. he's uh-huh. just he's like get a great veteran english actor in there to sell your bullshit if you gotta yeah. if you gotta sell some really kind of outside the box stuff that you're gonna like, grab albert finney or christopher lee or somebody who's gonna go in there and be able to sell that shit and mm-hmm. he does and he's a great leading man for that film because he's as baffled by it as everybody else at times but he still treats it with seriousness and it really i remember mm-hmm. that really working yeah, uh, and
2: I, I like movies that actually dare to be serious because now everything you know is postmodern and ironic and hip, yeah. so it's interesting. I like, cat people the same way, where like there's nothing jokey, like because you really risk like being laughed at when you go that serious mm-hmm. with a movie, yeah. you know. Um, the one thing about Albert Finney that reminds me of Tom Atkins is like he's supposed to be like the sexy leading man. I'm like, Does <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, like yeah. they're always getting these chicks. I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I mean, it was the 80s.
4: So everyone's still flashing back to Tom Jones. You know, they're thinking that mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the guy. Yeah. Like, no, I ain't yeah. Tom yeah. Jones no more. Mm-hmm. Nah, like, those days yeah. are yeah. gone.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. I actually, I've never seen Wolfen, but I think oh. I, I, I. So that's two for two for Peter's list that I have to check out. So I guess. Uh, I guess I'm gonna be busy this weekend. Uh, Apologize
2: uh, in advance if you hate them. So.
3: <laughs> uh, I think the archive oh, sure. collection
4: brought it out on Blu-ray. The Warner Brothers. They archive. did because yeah, no yeah, they
3: made a big deal about it. Actually, well, people did when it came out because they were excited that it was getting released because it was. Yeah. It had been on only on DVD, and I think the DVD was full frame, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, have it's two three five. DVD, so, yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah nice so they it. were excited that it was coming out, and the Warner Archive stuff always looks good. So I mean, mm-hmm. like that's the benefit is their transfers oh, are always sure. really nice. So yeah, yeah. Kevin Kev and I got some watching to do. Yeah. Uh, so my last pick for a movie that I... I, I this one I, I genuinely... I can say that I genuinely love and I, I come to defend it now and again because I feel like the hate directed towards this film solely has to do with the fact that people just adored the Halloween franchise so much that they just can't let go of that to look at this movie for what it is. It's not like no, no. Return of the Living Dead Part 2 where like, you know you know it's it, it, the first one so set that you can't separate it too much this one is like no you took these characters and you fucked them up so bad that i can't even watch this movie is rob zombie's halloween 2 hmm. um i so the, i saw that movie with zero expectations because when i saw the first one i'm not gonna lie I wasn't overly crazy about what he had done i was like i really don't there were some th- choices he made that i was like i don't think this was the right move for this but whatever you know again not being a huge halloween fan in general i wasn't like burned by it you know like i was just like yeah, I'm... some creative choices were a little questionable but at the end of the day i still didn't hate it i just didn't love it so halloween 2 came out and everybody fucking hated it there was not a single person i talked to that was <laughs> like hey go watch this and you know you you know it's it's worth checking out so i when it came out on blu-ray which was very quickly after its very short theatrical window because it it, it just it was panned they kind of pulled it out of theaters pretty quickly or it came out of theaters pretty quickly from what i recall anyway uh i went to a local store here called Newbury comics and the blu-ray was 6.99 the week it came out used and i'm like why is this so cheap why is so it used I, I, already <laughs> right. well i i i grabbed it i grabbed it because i was waiting for you know i was i was doing some other errands my with my mother waiting for her to finish up so i was you know i grabbed it and brought it up to the counter and i and i said to him i said can i just ask why is this only seven dollars this just came out this week and the guy's like we have a box of my back <laughs> so my manager approved us to put the price down to the lowest price we could which is the buyback price of 6.99 because we're trying to sell them all because we can't send them to corporate we have to sell them at the store and i'm like oh and he goes do you want another one i'm like no i don't want two of them so <laughs> i was like well, thank you so again, like expectations very fucking low at this point. I'm like, great, I'm essentially like no one even wants to own this movie. They're just trading it in left and right. So I bring it home and I wa I remember I was gonna go to work the next day and I watched before I went to work. I remember lying on the couch and just being like, Did am I seeing a different movie than what everyone else is seeing? This is actually pretty good. Like this is this is brutal. This is nasty the portrayal of Lori having PTSD was very realistic. It was very, it was very depressing. It was very gloom and doom, which I'm like, you know, somebody survives being almost being killed by a mass killer. And one of her friends is brutally murdered. And another friend of hers is, is mauled. They're not going to be like in Halloween five. They're not going to be Ellie leaving the front door unlocked. You know, they're going to be fucked up. And this was probably one of the first movies I saw that they really explored what this would do to someone. Aside from like Halloween H2O, which was 20 years later, like this is the next, you know, that movie showed her with PTSD 20 years later, but we didn't see her right after it all happened. You know, we saw her 20 years later after being in hiding. So this is like a year later and we get to experience what it's like for her. And I don't know, just the the way Michael killed people. I think he had, again, some of the best kills. Um, You know, he was scary to me in that film. I found him terrifying. I was like, this guy is not someone I'd want to be around uh, ever uh you know and again there's some issues with it the white horse stuff and sherry moon being in it is a problem you know and i get it you know the you know it, it's it, it's it's got some he again made some you know choices that were a little questionable but overall like and I, people have actually told me if it wasn't a halloween film i would have loved it and it's like but, 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 but stop looking at it like that then look at it on it based on its own merits then you know don't compare it to something that you spent most of your life loving it's never going to live up to that
4: i have spent most of the last 10 years or so since that movie came out, doing my best not to like it. And yet it keeps sneaking. I actually have a begrudging respect for Halloween 2 because it's so batshit nuts that I just kind of... Because Rob Zombie didn't really want to make that movie. No, not at all. He was was pressured into making it by the Weinsteins. They gave him money to go make a movie, and he's like, well, I can't turn out a green light. And so he basically just went well fuck it all i'm just gonna do whatever crazy crap comes into my head and these characters are gonna go off and do all sorts of shit and uh there's gonna be my wife's gonna walk around in a white shawl and white makeup with a white horse and uh they're gonna be driving down the road and they're gonna hit a a cow why i don't know (laughs) um and then it's just but it's really well filmed he shot it on 16 millimeter and he gave it an urgency that the other some of the other sequels haven't had and uh, the performances are all are all across the board, especially Brad Dourif, um, across the board, oh, is really really strong. His reaction yeah. to finding his daughter is just heartbreaking. It's and awful. I, I did like Scott Taylor Compton's performance in this one more than in the first one because she really had to go through the gamut of trying to pretend she's fine, trying to pretend she's fine. No, she's really not fine. And then by the end of it, she's fucked up for life. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I again. It's hard to defend that movie at times because it really goes off in directions where it's like, I, why was he thinking this? Do we need to be at this party this long? Uh, did we have to do? I mean, it's just and, and some of the kills I thought were way too sadistic. Like the one where it kills, uh, is it Octavia Spencer or whoever it is? Yeah. yeah. That, that kill goes on way too long. It's just like, okay, we get it. You stabbed her. She's dead. Um, I love it. But it, ha- it has its own voice. And unlike yeah. the first Halloween, the remake where I felt he he had his own voice for the first half, and then went, "Oh shit, I forgot I got to remake Halloween," and then they, they kind of rushed through a remake of the Halloween in the second half. But I, I like I kind of like Halloween too.
3: <laughs> We're all friends here. You Don't go, Don't worry
2: Kevin. You go first. I'll go last. You next. Guy. I mean, if you want to comment. Oh well, I mean, yeah, man, me I mean, it's,
1: it's not the worst <laughs> of the Halloween series. I enjoy Brad Dorr's performance in it. He he done pretty yeah. good. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I um, didn't hate it, but what it my favorite?
3: Well, people hate Vi. They 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 are. They, this movie is like Venom to a lot of people. They they despise this movie. Well, mm. I like
1: it better in the first Rob Zombie Halloween. I like it better in that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I do
3: too. Yeah. Me too.
2: Well, the one nice thing, is, I mean, Rob Zombie does have a vision. Um, yeah, he does. <laughs> I just, I honestly, I don't want to say, I, I just have a moral problem. I don't like his treatment and depiction of women. Um, and I don't think he has the narrative skill set to deal with PTSD. Like the scene that comes to mind is when Laurie finally finds out she's Michael Myers' sister. She's seeing, I think she's sitting in a car and she has the book. And yeah. she literally just says fuck 13 times. Mm-hmm. That's it. There's no, he's not able to, really write women characters, um, I think that are three-dimensional. Um, so it ends up just being scene after scene of naked women being brutalized. And to me, brutality is not scary. It's easy to show limbs breaking and people being, people suffering. That's not the same as generating scares and tension. So I'll just say that. Yeah, I just, I, I just, those, that movie, those, Rob Zombie movies generally make me feel just depressed Mm -hmm. so I
3: I will say that I I have a friend who suffers from PTSD Um, Mm -hmm. he was uh, I won't get into his personal details but he saw Halloween 2 and he said that the depiction of her everything that Rob Zombie did with that character was perfect it was exactly how he felt in situations he could relate to her and what she was going through based on his experience and I'm not saying that's going to be a shared experience with everybody who suffers mm-hmm. from PTSD, right? But like in, you know, in his case, he really looked at like Rob Zombie knows what PTSD and and is and ma- put, gave it to her and made her, you know, showed her how to do it, um, because he's like, I've had that reaction of fuck, 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 fuck when something doesn't, you know, if something triggers something where that's the only thing you can get out is whatever the first word that comes to your mind or whatever reaction you have it's overemphasized to the point where it's almost seems obnoxious um and you know i mean again it's not the same for everybody everybody deals with Mm -hmm, stuff differently um but in that defense and i get what you're saying too and i you know but someone close to me who had suffered through that kind of put that into that perspective for me because i remember kind of saying the same thing to him. It's like, oh, I thought like he kind of overdid it. He goes, actually, no, if anything, I think he restrained her a lot more than he should have in some scenes. And in other scenes, he let her go crazy, which worked better. So,
2: Hmm. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad if someone got something positive out of it.
4: (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Um, My final choice for a good film, which uh, a lot of people, and this one, I wouldn't say people bash really too much, but it's not given really any attention at all is, uh, certainly in the anthology world, is Stephen King's Cat's Eye, uh, which is (laughs) uh, an anthology film that was done by Dino De Laurentiis, and it was interesting. It was written by Stephen King based on his short stories, and it was directed by Louis Teague, who had done Cujo, and Stephen King had been a big fan of Cujo, and Louis Teague was brought in to direct this anthology. And what I find very interesting about it is that I think one of the reasons that it has not gotten sort of the love and appreciation that it deserves are because of two factors. One was that a prologue that would have established the wraparound story in this movie and also set up the confrontation in the third story was just wholesale cut from the film prior to being uh, released. Mm -hmm. There was a whole bit where the cat is with this, uh, the little girl character played by Drew Barrymore. She plays a couple different characters throughout the movie. But you see her later on advising the cat in like a shop window in the, fil- in the finished film going, it's out there, you have to find it. Well, that girl we s- were supposed to see in the prologue she dies and the mother, played by Patty Lapone goes nuts and thinks the cat tried to kill her and so he f- she fires like an Uzi off at the cat. Cat runs off trying to find this thing that we don't know about that, killed, that really killed the little girl which we find out later is the troll in the third episode of the, uh, of the movie. That was completely taken out. Uh, of the mm-hmm. movie at the last minute. Huh? Just a wholesale deleted from the film. So you're left really confused when this ghost apparition of Drew Barrymore keeps talking to the cat. Like, got to find it. Find what? Who the fuck are you? What's going on? <laughs> and, and another problem the movie has is that the two be- – the, the Quitters Incorporated adaptation, which is about a guy who's trying to quit smoking and he hooks up with his organization, which is run by the mob – and they're trying to uh, help convince him to quit smoking through whatever means are necessary. And then the second story, The Ledge, which is a basically a, uh, a guy's been having an affair with a rich man's wife. And the rich man puts the guy out on the ledge and said, if you can get around this building on the ledge and get back in here, you'll get my wife, you get a uh, big bag full of money, and have, you know, happy trails to you. Both those stories are so well done and so well acted and so well put together. They're actually two of the best short story adaptations of any Stephen King story that I've ever seen. They're really well done. James Woods is hilarious. He's really Mm -hmm. funny in Quitters Incorporated. He's matched by Alan King as the head of the Quitters Incorporated. Everyone's on the same wavelength. Louis Teague directs with a very light touch. And then The Ledge is brilliantly filmed using forced perspective and these oversized sets and... Uh, Robert Hayes from Airplane plays the, the guy on the ledge, and he sells every moment of terror out there. And uh, the great late Kenneth McMillan plays uh, Mr. Kressner, the rich asshole who's putting him through this. And he's just eating it up and having a delight playing this role. And uh, it's, it's, Both those stories are so good that the third story, when it comes to the troll and the kid, there's nothing to it. There really isn't anything to it. It's basically monster in the room, got to kill the monster and although it's brilliantly filmed in its own way because they used a lot of oversized sets and a real life-sized guy playing the troll and a lot of trick photography and forced perspective, there's just no meat on the bone in the story. It's, it's ultimately just sort of flat because you're like, okay, eventually they're just gonna kill the troll, right? Yeah, all right. Whereas with the other two stories, I didn't really know how either one of those was gonna end. So it has the misfortune of having some material deleted from the film that helps to sell the, the wraparound story and it ends on a story that is the weakest of the three by a considerable margin. That being said, I think it, if for the only, only for Gooders Incorporated and The Ledge alone, I think it deserves a much better reputation than it has. And uh, I would encourage people, if no other reason, watch the first two stories and don't bother watching the third one. Let's. Although, actually, it's worth it for the, 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 the troll costume and the makeup is actually quite good by Carlo Rambaldi. And again, the, the, the sets are wonderfully done and it's really well filmed. It just ultimately is kind of like, um, it's very anticlimactic. And I just think that's one of the situations where if you're going to have a film like this, end it on, a, end it on the big one. Don't, don't go out kind of like with the weakest of the three stories. But that also might have been hurt by the fact that we lost that deleted material from the beginning of the Mm -hmm. picture but Mm -hmm. there's more than enough to recommend it it's really well shot filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina and a great score by Alan Silvestri one of the few electronic scores that he's ever done Mm. and uh, it was done right after he did Back to the Future and I swear you can hear the Back to the Future theme still working its way (laughs) into this particular movie so um, I like it and the performances like James Woods and Robert everybody's really good in it
1: so I would encourage people to give give it another go if you haven't in a long time yeah the, the James Wood, cool. The Quitters, Inc. That's my favorite one. I love that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't smoke it. That's <laughs> like, if you're in there.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I totally agree with you, Richard. The first two are really strong. And I think maybe that's why the movie maybe didn't perform as well. Because it, it, the third segment's like, eh. So yeah. it kind of leaves you yeah. feeling. Eh,
4: yeah. yeah. And, cause, and, and you have such dynamic performances, battling performance, like Woods versus King. And then you have uh, McMillan mm-hmm. versus Hay. So there's a tension there between those Mm -hmm. characters there isn't that in the in the third Mm -hmm. story because basically it's drew barrymore saying there's a monster in my room and the parents Mm -hmm. going no there's not (laughs) and the cat is the lead character in that story actually and the cat can only do so much you know so um yeah it's 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 one of those situations anthologies are a tricky business because Mm
0: -hmm.
4: you can have a weak story but you can't have it at the beginning and you really can't really can't have it at the end if you're gonna do it, sandwich it in the middle so people get over it and they just, they walk out of the theater remembering, oh, that was that last story was mm-hmm. awesome, you know. That's why Creepshow ends with the cockroach story because you ain't gonna mm-hmm. forget that shit, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why the hitchhiker works so well at the end of Creepshow too, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's unfortunate. I think that, that but again, I, I would love to see that deleted material and see how it maybe helps to tie that third story together
1: yeah. into the movie a little bit more. All right. I guess it's my turn. Um My final choice for movies that I love that maybe nobody else likes is The Blair Witch Project. Mm. Ooh. Controversial film,
4: to say the least.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, it's the whole... I mean, either you love found footage or you don't. I think that's what it comes yeah. down to. But... Uh, if you remember, if anybody remembers this or seen it, a week before this came out of the theaters, the Sci Fi Channel ran a, a fake documentary called oh, Curse yeah, of the Blair yeah,
3: Witch. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Curse of the Blair Witch, yeah. 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 Which I might, I mean, it might be just as good as the movie, I think. Where it mm-hmm. filled in all the, the legend and myths about the movie. And I believe if people would have seen this first, they would have enjoyed the Blair Witch Project a whole lot more. Because the biggest gripe I've seen or heard of, of about this movie is they didn't understand the ending or what was going on at the ending. Oh. But all that happens at the beginning when they're doing the interviews outside the the restaurant stuff, they're talking yeah. about um the Rustin Parr killer who killed uh what was it nine mm. kids? Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 No, seven. Seven. The, seven the kids, seven. Yeah.
1: So when they walk up to that house at the end of the movie, they're technically, it's like a ghost house because it burned down in the 40s. That's what they all said. So, yeah, I thought hmm. that was very, very scary.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah,
4: I remember seeing that at the Midnight Show that opened, the Manor yeah. Theater in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was interesting listening to people as they came out. Like me and my friend, Dal, we both loved it. But then you would hear one conversation pass you on the left going, that movie freaked me the fuck out. Oh, my God. Yes. And then the next people on the other side would be like, man, nothing happened in that fucking movie. <laughs> that was just Because that movie really is all about buildup. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all about the – there's really not a payoff if you think about it. There's really – I mean, it's a guy standing in against a wall and a camera gets knocked over. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You know, But I, that's what I love about it. I love the fact that it's like there's no answers here. Yeah. And you yeah. don't get a quick shot of a monster. or Anything. It's just like, it's all that is a that is atmosphere from the beginning yeah. to mm-hmm. end. And if you're looking for a cheap regular payoff, you're not gonna get it with that movie. And I can, so, but I can understand why people. It's like you're stuck with this annoying bitch for like ninety minutes, <laughs> and I don't want to, you know. But I get that. But I, at the same time, I understood that character. was like that's how I'd be uh, reacting in this situation. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'd be crying my eyes out and snorting into the camera too, because I was like, I don't know what right. the hell's going on.
3: Blair Witch Project was lightning in a bottle. It really—they didn't give the actors a screenplay; no. they just gave them an idea of what they were doing, and then sent them off into the woods and then terrorized them for two weeks. Um, so, everything in that film is ad lib. There is not a single line of dialogue that was given to them to say. Uh, the marketing was the first time a film had been marketed virally where they right. you yeah. know built a website and a mythology around something to make it seem some like some people was didn't real. know
4: what to if it was real or not they didn't
1: know oh yeah no they you, didn't you know. and I
3: honestly think because I remember when that movie came out everybody was obsessed with you know, oh my god, it's real, it's, you know, they were, they were terrified, they just saw this, you know, this sort of snuff-found footage movie that no one was ever supposed to see, and then the kids popped up on the MTV Movie Awards, and then all of a sudden everybody hated it. Right, yeah, it was like, and oh! I, and was, I yeah. feel, <laughs> and I, what I feel like happened is they, like, got the rug pulled out from under them, and they were pissed. I don't think, you know, they were like, oh, I was made a fool of, so fuck this movie, it's like wait a minute a week ago you loved it like you, right. you said it was the scariest thing you'd ever seen now you're pissed because it wasn't real uh, I, I watched that movie with a group of friends i remember because i wasn't a very popular kid in middle school i i didn't have a ton of friends i was the weird horror kid but when i told everyone i had a copy of that movie and i was going to play it at my halloween party kids i didn't even know wanted to come to my house <laughs> they wanted to they wanted to come over and see it because everybody wanted to see it and so all these kids came over. We were like all sandwiched in the living room because we, we didn't have a very big, you know, house. It was an average size house. But like, you know, there's like 20 kids that are trying to fit in a space that's meant comfortably for six people. And uh, like half, half of them spent the night. They were too scared to go home. They didn't want to leave. They were too because we lived in kind of a rural area. So they, they didn't want to go home.
4: Oh, I had the same thing happen because I rode with my friend Dell up to the theater and he was dropping me back off at my home in Charlotte, which was this little apartment in this kind of wooded section. And it was raining. It was beginning to rain and thunderstorming and lightning and winding outside. And he got back to my house. I said, you want to come in and get some coffee or something? And he was like, no, nah, man, you live in Sleepy Hollow. I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay. And it was. It was just like, yeah, what a weird atmosphere to have for this movie at 2 o'clock in the morning. When we're getting yeah. out of the theater, so that that yeah, that movie just seeps into your bones. It just gets yeah. into you. And I'm uh, with
3: Kev. Yeah, I, I I love Blair Witch Project. I think it it uh, I think the hate that it gets is based on people's just annoyance that they they believe something was real and found out that yeah. it wasn't, and that pissed them off. What were your memories of
4: seeing it, Peter? What do you remember seeing? it? So,
2: Blair Witch is actually on my list of films I hate. Um, ah. Coming up, I actually think it's one of the downfalls of modern cinema. So I will save my comments for that section of the show.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, one more quick story about the on my about the Blair Witch. On the way home from watching that at the theater, me and me and Angie, I was taking her home, and it was you know eerily quiet the whole ride we didn't we, we we didn't speak that much and we're on a back road going back to her, her house and all of a sudden the raccoon darts out in front of the road and of course dummy me I slam on the brakes do a 360 and get stuck in the ditch <laughs> and have to call her dad to help us get out um, and when he gets there he was like what the hell happened and I was like well I thought it was a dog what it was he's I said a dog Ran out in front of me, and so I slammed on the brakes. Got the ditch. He goes back and looks. It's a raccoon that I didn't hit, but it's dead because I scared it to death. And it's on its back, dead. God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
4: <laughs> so is it just lying like in the road like, oh. Yeah, oh, I God. scared
1: the shit out of it. I killed it. I scared it to death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and he started calling me Davy Crockett.
2: <laughs> Alright, so I'm gonna I, For my last one, I chose The Halloween movie That I think is probably the most Diametrically opposed to Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which is Halloween H2O um, And the reason is I know it's not, like it was, it was a hit So I don't think it's necessarily Maybe it's a hated movie um, But all the criticisms I see of that movie Are like, oh it's 90s It's just Scream, blah 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 um, but I would argue that I truly feel it's the only Halloween movie that has a, a, a truly satisfying character and narrative arc and sense of resolution for Laurie Strode. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you can, I, and I was kind of shocked when Halloween 2018 came out because I thought it was gonna be like, some, I don't know, I didn't know what it was gonna be. I'm like Jamie Lee's back, like maybe there's some really like, interesting or unusual story, or how they're gonna do this. And it's just a remake of H2O. I mean, it's literally instead of 20 years later, it's 40 years later. It's all about PTSD, et cetera, et cetera. But in H2O, I feel like, you know, they really thought about, okay, what would happen if, you know, you not only suffered this horrific night or two nights, I guess, if you're kind of Halloween too, um, but if a serial killer was your brother, um, they really fleshed out who laurie shrub would be what would happen to her how it would affect her relationships her son etc and then you know jamie looked worked really really hard to make sure that there was again discounting resurrection and everything that there was a resolution that she was going to turn around face her monster finally deal with what she'd been running for 20 years and she's going to fucking chop his fucking head off. I mean, I think mm-hmm. for years, that's what you're waiting for, right? Does someone just fucking kill Michael Myers? Like you have this, there's all these scenes in the Halloween movies where, you know, we've seen it before where the Michael's down and then she drops a knife or something. So finally someone, you know, fucking cut his head off. So I feel like they made it very understandable. The trauma she went through, um, a very clear resolution. I thought she was, like even though she's an alcoholic and you know there's family issues, she's likable. Honestly, I didn't find Lori Strode likable in 2018. She just seemed like a crazy, backwards Roseanne Bark kind of character. Um, and this one, like even though yeah, and she's difficult, it's like you know you root for her. You want her to resolve things and get better. And like had some great moments where she turns the table on Michael, you know, and grabs her axe and goes after him. I mean, we've been waiting 20 years to finally see her take on the shape in that way. Because in Halloween 2, she's basically asleep the whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. And she never really fights Michael. I mean, Dr. Loomis in the first two movies is who saves Lori Strode. She does not save herself in the first two movies, which we'll get into that in another thing. But um, it's funny to me that I always look at like Halloween one and two is like this big final girl feminist thing for Lori Strode. And she gets saved by a man in both movies, but that's a different thing. So I think the biggest knock against H2O, again, is that, oh, it's 290s, the mass sucks. But I'm like, okay first of all every Halloween movie is a product of his time the first movies is totally 70s I mean you have you know PJ Soul saying totally in platform shoes Halloween 4 and 5 are totally 80s movies I mean I feel like the, the teenagers in the Halloween movies should reflect the time. so the kids in H2O should be 90s kids you know they should have mm-hmm. seen Scream and stuff like that so that doesn't bother me I'm sorry the mask in 4, 5, and 6 all suck so I know the mask in H2O sucks but all the masks suck so I guess I'm a character story guy if you have a strong you know story like that and you really commit to laurie strode's story like that then you know I, I can i can deal with the bad mask and the and the 90s stuff so i just think that movie gets a bum rap because i think emotionally it, it provides it's a very strong you know arc for laurie so
4: yeah i agree because i i yeah. i'll and i'll keep this short um i i when i went into halloween 2018 and was watching that interpretation of Lori, i'm like when did this crazy woman ever meet a man and have a family? Mm-hmm. And right. I, I,
3: you mm-hmm. know, is,
4: has she been like this literally all this time? Because I, I don't see how sh- anyone would ever want to have a relationship. I mean, I just how does mm-hmm. she have kids? How did, the, how did the government not take the kids away from her at some point? Mm-hmm. Whereas the one right. we see in Halloween H20 is a functioning alcoholic. Right. But she's still a functioning human being. She could still have warmth and sanity and have a relationship. But the one mm-hmm. in 2018, I'm just like, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis acts it well. I don't want to say it's a fault of her performance, mm-hmm. but the fact that she was given really nothing to do except play it as basically the crazy old woman on the lawn saying, Michael's, ah, she's a-coming! Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, she has all the, you know, all the crazy traps and everything, and I'm like, I don't buy this as a genuine, real human being. Right. Whereas yeah. I did in Halloween H2O, and I'm, yeah. I'm totally with Peter on that. I, that's one thing I think Halloween H2O really got right. Was was
3: Laurie yeah. Strode? Mm-hmm. I I think Halloween each Two my biggest issue with it. I actually really do like the movie too, Peter. I think it's mm-hmm. one of the better sequels. Is that the score from Scream is used? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. They that really hurts that movie in a lot of ways because it makes it feel like a Scream movie and do it, you know, it being Dimension it like and you know I, I don't have an issue with the way the mask looks. Uh, I never I really never did. Um, For me, like, you know, Halloween 2018, Laurie Strode being as fucked up as she was made no sense without the other movies existing. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to do this thing where, like, oh, you know, this is a direct sequel to the first film. We're not even going to acknowledge, you know, the the sequels. It's just going to be, you know, they didn't happen. This is an alternate timeline. But her character is behaving as if those other movies did happen. Because Mm in H2O, it makes sense for her to be fucked up because it was her brother. She found out about it. In 2018, he was just some random guy who... Mm -hmm she realistically in Halloween ran into for 15 minutes and then mm-hmm. it was over. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's just like, there are nine eleven victims coping better than she is right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just this character being this damaged doesn't make sense mm-hmm. without the brother-sister angle because mm-hmm. there's no reason for her to think he would even think about her again. And in that film, they have to bring him to her for him to go face-to-face with her. Like, he has mm-hmm. no... Doesn't try to find her. Doesn't go looking for nothing. It's just he's just trying to. As we find out, Halloween Kills, he's just trying to go home. Mm -hmm. That's all he's really trying to do. Yeah, I think
4: by trying to retcon it and get rid of the brother sister thing, which I always thought was stupid anyway. Yeah, yeah, the the, the brother thing was it was stupid. I was glad that went away, and Mm -hmm. yet it did rob her Mm -hmm. of some reasoning for her being the way she was. It was almost like they wrote her to be that way with all the other films still in place. And then mm-hmm. when they got rid of all that it's just like why is this right, why is this woman so batshit nuts? You know, yeah, why does yeah. anyone tolerate her? Why does anyone again, who, who married this woman and had yeah. kids with her? It's just like yeah. I you know I don't know.
2: a hundred percent agree. Yeah, you guys are yeah. totally right. Sorry. In
3: an age oh. true o, they even make a reference of her of um uh his father sending him a birthday card late. And Josh Hartnett, whose character's name is escaping me. John. John. I, John, thank you. John says, um, you know, uh, no, she says to him, well, dad was a methadone smoking, blah, 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 addict. And he goes, well, who would attract someone like that? It's like, oh, okay. So she was fucked up for a while when she hooked up with this guy and had a kid. <laughs> and then, you know, she tried to get away and, you know, make herself better. So she took the kid and ran off, got custody, yada, yada, yada. So it's like okay, so that makes sense, but in Halloween 2018 it's like she again, she had someone met her and went let's have a child?
4: No, no, I don't mm. think so.
3: Mm. You know, that was and, a no- uh, another normal person, you know.
2: Another weird thing about 2018 to me is because of the fact they removed all the sequels and like you said, the she runs into Michael Myers for 15 minutes. It's like at the end, when Michael Myers is coming back, it's almost like they're saying like, oh, that justifies her being such a terrible person all these years. I mean, because they established in 2018, you know, she hasn't been a good mother and all these horrible things. It's so, so, yeah. um, whereas like H2O, it's really the opposite. It's, you know, it really puts it on Lori, like, hey, you know, you need to face your monster. This is ultimately your responsibility to deal with your past. So I just find it much more empowering. The, 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 I me mean, mm-hmm. taking it too serious too seriously, mm-hmm. but. So I think there's it more it's a stronger moral, uh, of the story behind, um, H Joe. And I, Chris, when I said earlier, I hope it didn't come off offensive. But when I said that H Joe was diametrically opposed to Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, what I meant by that is, you know, Rob Zombie has this very gritty grindhouse aesthetic. And I think H 20 was like the complete opposite in that it's this hip, trendy nineties feeling, scream yep. vibe with the score. So yep. I think a lot of horror fans didn't like H Joe because they don't, you know, it's too, glo- it was too glossy and, I, I get that
3: it became like a, Scream was parodying,
2: mm-hmm.
3: slasher films, and the Halloween H2O kind of became a Scream movie, yeah, in a way. Yeah. So it kind of came full mm-hmm. circle, which I think might have annoyed people who weren't crazy yeah. about Scream, because there were a lot mm-hmm. of, I feel like there were a lot of like slasher fans that Scream pissed them off, because it kind of yes. Mm -hmm. made them look at all the stuff they had been accepting for the last 30 years yeah because halloween 2
4: h2o wouldn't have happened if scream hadn't done what right exactly yeah and and i there's
2: there's more to that well we can talk about that
3: yeah i think that there's a there's a certain level of don't tell me how to feel about my movies that horror fans have Mm -hmm. so with scream coming along and basically saying like hey like you know, this is a trope that you guys have blindly been accepting for the last thirty years and then Halloween H two O also understanding and recognizing it and not trying to use any of them and putting Scream Two in the movie meaning like mm-hmm. now we're now we're we're doing the meta thing in the Halloween franchise yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that pissed people off and Exactly. Uh, i i love the, the ending of h2o when she chops off his mm-hmm. head oh, i am yeah. not exaggerating i stood up and i cheered yeah. i yeah. was like fucking finally thank no, you god we're, like, you like, yes. yeah where thank you thank
4: like you. me was just like well let him figure a way out of that one yeah right yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. and then
2: yeah. the next one comes like yeah. oh yeah. all right uh,
3: yeah, it, it should have yeah. been the last one yeah it yeah. really should have been yeah <laughs> it was a great arc to leave it on and um you, have you guys ever seen Soap Dish? The movie Soap Dish? Oh, I yeah. love Soap Dish, <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when Whoopi Goldberg is flipping out about the guy coming back because he doesn't have a he head? He doesn't have a head! Yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? He's got no lips, the vocal cords. What do you want me to do? That's what I can picture the writers of Island yes. Resurrection going, like, What? His head's gone. What do you want us to do? Why am I supposed to write for a guy who doesn't have a head? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah so i i i really i'm with peter i like h2o a lot i think it's actually very underappreciated so
4: yeah i, th-
2: I think it just became like the scream one like that and i think that's the knock yeah. against and then it. there was, was a just, whole other level
4: right. of bashing yeah. that happened when 2018 came out and that was yeah. such a big hit
2: yeah like, oh, yeah. right
4: of the wrongs of h2o yeah fuck you, you know?
2: yeah. And resurrection and if, didn't help either when they kind well, of tried yeah, to the, rewrite the. Yeah.
4: yeah yeah h2o and resurrection yeah. get linked together far too often mm-hmm. because yeah. of the laurie stroke connection it's just like yeah well, that's not fair
3: yeah, there was right. a while, a long period where I ignored Resurrection ever happening. Like, I just pretended it didn't exist, because to me that was the worst entry in the franchise. And then Halloween Kills came along.
4: But that's a and whole another topic. Evil dies tonight. It
3: is. Well, yep. that, I just want to say, I watched Halloween Resurrection again for the first time in 20 years, and went, you know what? This is fine. <laughs> 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 I, was, I was okay with Trick it when it was treat. all said and done. Still bad, but I was thoroughly entertained, and it's one of those quick movies that's over before you know it so i didn't i didn't really have a big 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 i'm gonna have to disagree with you that is not fine (laughs) it's not fine But you
2: have such great lines like trick-or-treat motherfucker i chuckled at that for the first time in 20 years
3: i chuckled i was like you know what it's funny yeah he's having a great time they hired this guy to play himself they didn't hire buster rhymes to deliver shakespeare they hired buster rhymes to be buster rhymes and he did and he showed up to work and gave it his all. I can't, yeah. I can't fault the
2: uh, for that. And there's, like, you know, I'll do my red shirt pictures plug. I mean, in an upcoming book I may or may not be writing, you'll find all, all about Halloween, H2O, and Resurrection. No, that's that's and, not very classy, Peter. That. That's uh, you, not, know, you know, bringing <laughs> up. Makes a great Christmas gift available on the Amazon. This. It's not
3: supposed uh, to be uh, about that, really. Yeah. Oh, okay. And right. low, blow. low blow. Low
0: blow. Low uh, blow.
1: Kevin, you got anything to say about H2O? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite, but I enjoyed it.
3: Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: well good. there you go alright guys so that's going to wrap it up here for us on the first part of this episode we hope you guys enjoyed listening to us talk about some of our underappreciated horror films uh, on the next episode we'll be discussing those horror films that we feel like are a little overappreciated so we hope you'll come back to hear us talk about that uh, I am Chris McGibbon and I am Michael Felsher,
1: and I'm Kevin Ellis
3: and I'm Peter Bracky keep it spooky we'll be back